Hello, and welcome to an episode of Is It My Cup of Tea? A podcast about theatre and creativity. My name is Nathan Schultz, otherwise known as the Drama Merchant, and you're welcome to grab a cup and saucer, make yourself comfortable in my tea room, as I share with you information from the teapot entitled Playhouse Creatures. Featuring an all-female cast, the show, written by April DeAngelis, had its premiere in 1993 at the Theatre Royale Haymarket. It's since been revived at the Old Vic in 1997, the Dundee Rep in 2007, and the Chichester Festival Theatre in 2012. In 2018-2019, Hit Productions toured the show in Australia, and opening July 16, 2021, it will be performed at Narang at Javeen Bar Theatre. Directed by Kayla Gray, who directed The Hound of the Baskervilles at Spotlight Theatre, and When the Rain Stops Falling and the Penelope Ad at Javeen Bar Theatre, Playhouse Creatures is set in London during the year 1669, a time when theatres were reopening after 17 years of Puritan suppression, and the first English actresses began to appear on stage. The play focuses on five of the most famous, Nell Gwynn, Elizabeth Farley, Rebecca Marshall, Dole Common, and Mary Betterton, and aims to provide a moving and often comic account of the precarious lives of Restoration actresses. Now, due to technical difficulties, I'm unable to give you a recording of my questions when I visited Javine Bar last week. However, Doug Kennedy, arts and entertainer writer and journalist, has joined the team, and he sat down with Kayla and talked about the show's historical context to see if it's your cup of tea. Let's have a listen. Hi, hello. Hello. Hello, very pleased to meet you. I'm, I'm, my name's Douglas, mm-hmm. and uh, I've been reading a bit about the play, but I want you to tell me, it's, it's about six actresses, is it six actresses or five? Five actresses in, what, the 1660s, when Charles II had come back from France, and we had the Restoration, and with it we had Restoration comedy, and in fact it was the only theatre after 18 years. And these five actresses... Just tell me, first of all, briefly, without giving me any spoilers or anything like that, it, what, where is it set? What are they doing? Are they talking? Are they putting on a play? Are they down the pub? What are they doing? All of the above, <laughs> literally. <laughs> um, they, we're very much seeing their professional and their personal lives right. um, coexisting side by side as inevitably uh, or as assuredly they would have been. So we get to see them... Um, in their green room, what we right. would call green room. That's they... that's where artists react before they, after and before they go on yeah. the stage. So, the green room, it's known as the green room. Yes, they refer to it as the tiring room, mm-hmm. um, which is where they would prepare, where they would uh, relax um, around performance times, because of course they were performing pretty much non-stop, often up to three plays a week. Right. Be, and not only would they be performing up to three different plays a week, they would also have to be learning the next week's plays. It's like repertory in Britain, in England. Yes. They have repertory where you do that. You're playing one part, you're learning your next part. Constantly. And they're talking, what, about their lives, about how they feel? Um, well, yes. And again, without wanting to talk, I guess, too much in the specifics, it's, yeah. it's a very uh, generalised snapshot of issues that they were facing as both women of their time, but also the fact that they were the first women who were welcomed onto the stage um, legitimately. So, of course, there are always examples of women sneaking sneaking up on the stage and pretending to be a boy, because, of course, 
uh, males played all parts right. before women were <laughs> given the green light. Famously, they did, didn't they? Yes. So these women, what what was their background have been? Where would they have come from? Were they low? Were they were they come from the lowly lives, or were they from the aristocracy, or from the middle class, or where would they have come from? It is a mix. It is a mix because for people, for the women who have come from lower social standing, what they saw this um, career offering them was a, a raise in social status, potentially, mm. um, or a raise in income or fame or fortune, which some of them managed to achieve, like Mel Gwynn. Right. Um, but there were also, you know, the lure of performing. Right. But these, in, in that era, just to get things in context, in those era, uh, women women had very little choice about what they could do. If they were if they were born to money, then they would be looked after. But even if it was their money, once they married, it belonged to their husband. Yes. If they were born in in the lower middle class or or even lower, the chances are that they they their jobs were very very limited. They could be a respectable job would be to be a governess, of course, or you could be a servant. Or the chances are, if you came from a low life, that you would be a prostitute or a whore, as they used to call them in those days. And we know that Nell Gwynn's mother actually ran a brothel and Nell grew up in it uh, serving drinks for the gentleman clients. Mm -hmm. So they, they've come from very kind of rough background, these ladies, haven't they? Some have, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, they've, and they got, this is their chance to, to, to shine. I think for some of them that would have definitely been a lure um, because you were adored. If you if you were good at your job on the stage, you were prized, you were whispered about, you were lauded. Um, that wasn't how it was going to turn out for everyone. But I think in the in the greater social context of the time, um, women, irrespective of financial standing, were all in the same position right. where they had no. Power. And this, I, I was reading this just this afternoon that this was actually the birth of celebrity. Now, people like Samuel Pepys, the diarist, for example, he would come back and he wasn't uh, he wasn't alone in this. He'd come back time and time again to see his favourite actress, mm -hmm. and he had a he had a, a little statuette, I think, or a picture of Nell Gwynn on his desk at the Admiralty where he worked as a, as a, as a mm -hmm. civil servant, mm -hmm. and, and and the men were absolutely attracted to this. I suppose this is the beginning of the stage door Johnnies that became such a feature of Victorian theatre. Yes, well there are some quite, in retrospect, some quite alarming um, aspects that came with being uh, an actress in terms of male admiration and attention. Uh, it was completely commonplace for men to pay money to come backstage and sit in the dressing room of the actresses and watch them changing, and that was completely accepted, and everyone thought that was completely fine, which of course was very problematic, yeah. <laughs> um, but there were also situations of, especially when you start talking about aristocracy or men of means and wealth, um, they would often be what is called the keeper of these actresses, so right. it was often part of... So were they their mistresses, sorry, were, were the women their mistresses? Yes, I mean in a way, but if you had a keeper, you had a wealthy benefactor right. who um, cared for you, you would have lodgings, you would have an allowance for clothes, you would have an allowance for a household staff, like you would be very well taken care of as long as you were still in the favour of, of your keeper, but of yeah. course it was completely at the whim 
of you know the man jangling the gold. Yes, they, they, they had the first strings. Exactly. Now, and I understand, this, this is something that really fascinated me, looking into the background of, 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 of these women and the people of this generation. And that was that some women say that it was a great feminist step forward because women were on the stage. And we can thank Charles II for that because he'd been to France and saw what happened there and came mm -hmm. back with all these new ideas in 1660 mm -hmm. when he was crowned. Uh, but other people say that they were still being, and they were, being objectified. For example, they had things called the breeches scenes. Do you have a breeches scene in, in this play? No. What happens is that um, women would, in, a, in the course of the play, the women would have a scene that was contrived where they would have to wear breeches, uh, and this yes. would show off their shapely legs. Uh, and they say yes. that about a quarter of the restoration comedies that were written between 1660 and about 1710, when it came, went out of fashion, about a quarter of them had breeches scenes. Mm -hmm. And there were some actresses who were actually known for, their, for doing breeches scenes, mm -hmm. because all the women had their, their own speciality. There were also lots of scenes where they'd be on couches or beds and, and be very loosely dressed. And of course, there was the language as well. The language in the Restoration comedy was very explicit. Yes. So, you know, that is, that is something that women have been fighting and still are fighting about. I heard you say earlier that, you know, contemporary issues, you know, it's universal and it's timeless and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So was it such a great feminist step forward? Or, or, or is it a bit of both? Is it is a kind of grey area? I think any any advancement that has happened or will happen for the plight and success of women is an advancement and a step forward. Um, well, the other impression I got from the stuff that I've read is that the women, it, it wasn't just about sex. The women, I mean, people like Nell Gwynn, for example, who's the most famous, therefore mm. the most is written, mm. actually was a very talented, witty, witty woman. And, and, they, and they were all very talented. They, <laughs> yeah. could, they could do this, they could yeah. do this serious business, and they were in tragedies too. It wasn't all comedies. Yeah. Did, these, did these women end up um, materially um, rewarded uh, greatly? The play Playhouse Creatures is kind of a melting pot of, of um, events and things that happened in the lives of actresses, not necessarily the five that have been um, named in this play. They've kind of become a, a melting pot for a, a bigger group of shared experiences with actresses over the period. Um, but one of the things that does happen is the actresses get shares in the theatre. Oh, so I didn't we, know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so we start at the beginning with, with, with them talking amongst themselves about how the discrepancy that they're noticing between what the male actors and what they are getting and experiencing and having to do just to you know, be paid or get their due, um, which certainly the men were paid more, which is... Which is, yeah, <laughs> that's a, one of your universal <laughs> themes, I think. Yes, it is. Uh, it's hundreds of years old, but it's still very relevant. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, it did happen that shares um, uh, in, in the theatre were actually uh, allotted to... Yeah. The female performance. And one of the hallmarks of restoration comedy, of course, was wittiness, very sophisticated wittiness, often very sexy, yeah. sometimes rather gross and indecent. Yes. Uh, is, is there a lot of humour in the play? Would you There's, like to talk about the humour? There is a bucket load of humour <laughs> in this play. Um, the play is essentially a collage of, so the play Playhouse Creatures is a collage of the actresses performing 
uh, classical pieces yes. of theatre of the time, which is what is happening in, our, in the theatre part uh, of our set. But then, of course, we see them backstage living their lives. Talking about their lives and things like yeah, that. Well, yeah, well, li- yeah, living their lives and, and we see things happen to them and we see things that they... Uh, things that happen to other people because of decisions they have made. It's it's definitely there's the two parallel um, existences within this play of who they were as women and who they were as actors. Yes. Um, but the thing is, in terms of what you said before about having to be witty and having to, I mean, sharp as well, mm-hmm. you have to be. There were every corner had a playhouse on it. And if you didn't get the audiences coming, if you didn't get the punters coming back to your right. playhouse, then you were out on the street and the next girl's in. Yeah. So it was cut. It was throat. a hard life. And it I, was I, a hard life. I understand that if you had 10 performances, because it was such a small pool of theatre goers, if you had 10 performances, it was considered to be a hit show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's, that's wonderful. <laughs> and um, yeah, then the other thing that struck me about Nell was, and as I said, she's the most written about person, yes. was she was quite candid about things. She was yes. stopped at a coach once and someone shouted at her that she was the king's uh, Catholic whore. Mm. And she shouted back, no, I'm not. I'm his Protestant whore. <laughs> <laughs> she, didn't, uh, she didn't care. Yeah, and well, she, she had a son by him called Charles. He was made an elf. And in one scene, apparently, in one scene between them, she said to the boy, come here, you little bastard, and meet your father. <laughs> and he was so, he was very upset, Charles. He was quite a sensitive folk. And she said, well, you've got to give him a name. And he said, God bless the Earl of Burford, which was one of the names that he gave he became the Duke of Albans yeah. and in fact all his legitimate sons got and daughters got uh, titles mm. and pensions and things yes. so I suppose Very in that sense he was benevolent yeah. so were those men who were using those women were they benevolent do you think? <laughs> that's, a very, that's a huge question to ask of all of the men who um, were keepers of actresses. Look, I think I think it really would would have depended uh, would have depended on the person, but I think it's very uh, it's not a great stretch to look at the the imbalance of power that was between um, the women who were kept and the men who were keeping, and the fact that. Um, to attract the eye and to attract the security of having of having an earl or a king yeah, take you, you take interest in you yeah. was was pretty much as much as these women could dream of because as you mentioned previously there were no options there were no careers for you to consider there were no, no avenues of ascending through the social ranks if you ascended through the social ranks like Nell ended up doing in a way you were the anomaly you were not the typical and even then Nell may have you know had a a son who was then made an earl and had the the love presumably of the king and yet society didn't like her or accept her because she was gutter born and bred and that's all that mattered back then in terms of identifying or classifying women that's what she was born and it's what she would always be and uh, the good side for the upside for Nell was that on his deathbed Charles said let not Nell starve yes and the good side was that she didn't starve <laughs> the bad side was that sadly she died at the age of 37 mm-hmm. as I'm sure many of the women in that era 
and and the men too did die. Oh yeah, life young. expectancies weren't uh, weren't like they are today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's good. It's, so it's it's great that it's got a message for today. I'm going to round off on that because I think that's mm. uh, that's very important with wage gap, wage gaps, how women are treated particularly in the parliament, yeah. and so on and so forth. So and it's also, very pertinent. Absolutely. And also the fact that men and women so often are partners in particular experiences, whether it be liaisons or whatnot, and yet it always seems to be the woman who comes out as being the one who's done something wrong or is the that, one we is, have to judge. Is that why you focus on the type of plays that you explained to Nathan earlier that you do? Uh, I think maybe subconsciously. I think I think I just – I think because I am – a woman, it's a lot easier for me to engage with and find a lot of resonance in and to really get my teeth stuck into pieces about women because I get it. <laughs> I guess I guess the trick is, and, and it sounds as if you might have done this with this, or this play does it and you, you've carried it on. I guess the trick is to get your point across and get a, get an issue across, but at the same time, you, you, your responsibility is to entertain your audience, yeah, you isn't have it? To, you have to entertain, yeah. and if you entertain, you might be able to slip in a little bit of learning in there too exactly <laughs> look it's been lovely talking to you thank you very much and good luck with the season which opens on july 16th yes mm -hmm. and uh, we're all looking forward to seeing it and uh, it's going to be terrific you've got some music in it too we do yes but i'll uh i'll, I'll leave it at that okay it's quite whimsical well as long as you don't ask me to come on the stage and dance with you <laughs> I, I promise you no <laughs> thank you very much you're welcome bye <laughs> I hope what you've heard about Playhouse Creatures sounds like your cup of tea, or has perked your interest in trying its historical flavour. From what I saw behind the scenes along with my chat with Kayla, I can tell you mine is, and I'm looking forward to seeing it on opening night on the 16th of July. Now the season runs until the 31st of July, and you can purchase tickets by visiting www.javinebar.org.au or click on the link under this podcast on the Drama Merchant website. And remember, an adventure begins with a cup of tea.